Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambudasa Buddham Damang Sangang Namasami always chokes me up a little bit when we do the <laughs> refuges and precepts, I have to admit. <laughs> so I want to talk about something to, tonight that I hope will be helpful to you. Um, it, it really uh, came out of a conversation I had with somebody not long ago. Um, I was talking to this gal who was really locked into uh, an, an intensely confused state. It's one of those states where the mind just keeps going in loops. You, you, know, you may have seen this, just keep spinning out uh, uh, in a particular fashion. Her, her whole head was spinning and her whole being was uh, locked into this. And, and the crux of it was this. She said, um, I know I'm supposed to open to the way I am, but I'm trying so hard to not be that way <laughs> that I just spin out every time that I am. Yeah? <laughs> you may have seen this. You know, it may be quite familiar <laughs> with this kind of thing. We, we all know what it was that she was talking about. And it, it points to an, an apparent conflict that... Um, uh, comes up between like two processes that take place in, in practice. Uh, yeah, on the one hand, there's the aspiring to improve ourselves, the aspiring for freedom. And on the other hand, there's this uh, a process of, of very uh, deliberately trying to open to and accept the way that we are. So, you know, we're working to move ourselves in the direction of freedom from difficult states and and freedom from suffering on the one hand, and just also working to establish and maintain some semblance of a healthy respect for the, the way that we are, for the karmic patterns and, and habits that happen to make up this being, you know, that keep arising in this heart, and, and just trying to open to the way it is at any given moment and, and to the way that we are, the way that we are, our karma. So at first glance, these, these two you know, major impulses in human experience just seem to be at odds with each other. And I want to talk a little bit about, uh, about each of these. But, but first, just to say, I mean, you can't, you know, I, I struggled just even trying to prepare it because I, I thought uh, one thing that kept gnawing at my attention, it just needs to be said right up front. And, and that is that uh, if there is a lot of confusion, if there is a lot of difficulty, if you have this feeling that these two impulses are at odds with uh, each other, then the culprit in all of that is self-view. You know, that's the bit that's creating the confusion and stirring things up a bit. Because these, these two movements are only at odds with one another um, as long as this, this sense of self thinks it's doing the work of liberation. <laughs> You know, so so you, you, everything gets kind of pulled down into this uh, very self-absorbed uh, perspective. And so we think we're the ones that are cleaning, uh, cleaning up our act. And so from the vantage point of, of self, then what ends up happening is that practice gets reduced to a battlefield. I've certainly felt that many times. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like I feel like I talk about a warrior. <laughs> you know, these images that the Buddha uses, they're, they're really apt. 
you know, because uh, it, it all gets reduced so quickly to that. Uh, the way we are and the way that we want to be are just constantly at odds with uh, one another, such that it, it can be very difficult to do what we need to do um, to fulfill that aspiration <laughs> for freedom and uh, to, to cultivate this quality of peace that uh, comes with accepting things as they are, accepting the way that we are. But the good news is that the practice itself is the very mechanism for diminishing, reducing this tendency towards self-view. And as it diminishes, as that uh, happens over the years, it all starts to look very different. <laughs> you know, it, it, what happens is that um, there's, a, there's a gradual shift that's taking place in our practice. And uh, it's from these uh, self-absorbed tendencies or self-absorbed uh, perspectives to one that's impartial, not attached, objective, able to see things without the judging and the criticizing and the lashing out and all the, the bits that keep wanting to act on it or do something about it. So and it, it's, it's actually through this ever-increasing um, impartiality towards what is and towards what we see in ourselves, that we fulfill this aspiration for freedom. So they, they aren't even remotely at odds with each other. <laughs> They're very much um, uh, uh, the same thing, or very much uh, maybe two sides of, of the coin. So, so just put another way, you know, the waking up process is, um, is really a process of, of noticing states that, that cause uh, contraction and cause harm in the system, and slowly opening to these. Just slowly uh, greeting and meeting what we see in ourselves, and uh, so that the system can shift. It's actually that process of opening the heart to receive what is, and trusting that over time. It takes some time, admittedly. It's a process, and it takes time to get accustomed to it as a process, and to trust uh, that the way that people are um, guiding us in it is, is really true and really works. So just opening to the way we are, first looking at this. You know, someone um, asked me recently, um, so what goes on up there at the forest refuge? <laughs> you know, are, they said, they said are, are people getting enlightened? You know, I said, well, you know, I guess that all depends on how you define enlightenment. You know, and that, that's true. But uh, I said, they're definitely waking up. Definitely waking up. And, but, but it has to be said that so much of that process of waking up in, involves seeing and acknowledging the pain of being caught in our karmic patterns and habits. And so much so that at any given moment, one might look and see what's going on here and say, well, really what's going on there is a whole lot of suffering. <laughs> That's basically what one is seeing from one day to the other. And let's be honest, you know, we're, we're all caught in a, a lot of difficult states, deluded states, uh, and uh, unskillful ways of being. We have lots of blind sides. That's why we're here. That's why we got born. And so we're... And Buddhism is particularly helpful in helping us identify and name uh, those states so that we can see them more clearly. You know, naming is critical. 
just to know them. I, unfortunately, we tend to get bogged down in all these lists of defilements and difficult states. You know, they end up uh, tormenting us even more rather than uh, helping us to understand uh, the, the nature of what it is that we're caught in. Being able to name it, so so that that naming has a has a role really in helping us develop some kind of impartial stance towards it. But uh, that can take some time to, to realize that that's how it's operating. So, but we, we have to know, in the midst of all of this, that as long as the mind is still in this unawakened state, what we're going to do is um, adopt approaches of fighting and resisting and sticking our heads in the sand and wishing we could be some other way and turning to all of these crazy states of mind, the greed, hatred, delusion, the, all the rest of their five hindrances, you know, and, and, and uh, turning to them uh, to deal with all this, to cope with all this, as if, it's a, as if they'll help, as if this is the remedy. You know, the, the unawakened mind is just, uh, it's spinning out, and it's trying to deal with what we're observing as we meditate in the only way that it knows how. You know, this is what we've learned. This is, this is the, these are the approaches, the mechanisms um, that we've been trained in, uh, just as human beings. And so, um, you know, you have to see this. You may have seen this. And so what ends up happening is that the, the, the net effect of what goes on up here at the Forest Refuge is that a lot of the time is spent uh, just uh, suffering, dealing with the suffering of having to endure our karma, endure those karmic patterns. We have to know this. This is not, I mean, this is intended to, to help us uh, understand the process. You know, this is not like an indictment or a prediction of some future suffering. But this is a lot of what's going on here. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to open to the suffering of the, the karmic patterns and habits that have been established. And we're also trying to open to, to the added suffering uh, of, of having to repeatedly turn to a bunch of tired, old, worn-out approaches that never did any good, never fixed any of this, and never will. But because it's our habit to keep relating in that way, that's what we do. <laughs> and that's very painful. You know, you get, you, and you have, you have to see that and feel that, feel the pain of these kinds of reactive patterns. And, and as if that isn't enough, then there's also this uh, very tricky and, and often frustrating process uh, of trying to understand and adopt to these new ways that the whole Buddhist process is trying to introduce us to. <laughs> you know? I don't know about you, but when they said, when they started to tell me to open to the way it is, you know, I said, you've got to be nuts. <laughs> that can't be right. That can't be right. You know, this is painful stuff. What do I want to go into it for? You know, I, I would, I'd rather just uh, go take a nap, get some chocolate or something, you know. <laughs> but that, that's what they're telling us to do. You know, turn towards it when everything in us wants to turn away. Yeah. It's wild, isn't it? So this is, this is the process. And, and it, sound, it can sound crazy to non-believers or non-practitioners, but this is what we're doing. So I, I find that in order not to get depressed about it all, <laughs> you know, when, 
how it's going or, or the process or how it's going or how we're doing with it at, at any given point. I, I find it's especially helpful to take some time and just reflect and, and recollect. Go back to the, the, the time, if you can even remember, before practice, before you knew about these teachings and picked up these different approaches. You know, just, just to try to remember. You know, before coming to practice, we, we had no idea of another way of being. And, and you know, sometimes, I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes it, it's not to compare or to think oneself better than, but sometimes I see people who are so caught in it, you know, and, and it, oh, it's just, oh, thank goodness, you know, that feeling of happiness and gratitude for having turned towards uh, the Buddhist practices. Because in those states, our only options are just to be born into everything that arises. <laughs> You know, one of, the, one of the monks would say, without practice, without mindfulness, it's all completely and utterly compulsion. It, it's all just being born into what has been. What has been is what will be. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, I guess if they were all really, uh, all of our states were healthy and skillful and harmless, then that wouldn't be a problem. But so much of it is difficult. You know, so much of it is painful and difficult to bear. But, but can you remember? Can you just take some time occasionally and reflect back to that? You know, before practice, all of the thoughts, all of the habits and, and patterns that are arising still, probably now, but they were who you are. <laughs> they are who we are. And uh, there's, there's just no objectivity no standing back, no capacity to just look at things from uh, this different perspective. You just have to glom onto everything. And, and the sad part about it is, in the midst of all of that, you know, we fail to see this as the ignorant and suffering state that it is. You know, it's, it's a deep delusion. You know, the Buddha is pointing to all of this. I mean, a lot, I think it's interesting that a lot of, a lot of people call it blissful ignorance. You know? <laughs> But when I think about it like this, and I look back on, on the, even, even with only the little bit of objectivity I've garnered, you know, but look back on the times before you had any at all, you know, I don't recall it as a fun state. That's not how I remember it. You know, and, for, and it has to be said, too, that for all the years of practice and for all the many people that I've talked to uh, about their practice, I don't, I've never met anybody who, given the chance, would take the blue pill you know, and go back <laughs> to all those deluded and, and difficult states. Do you? I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody. That, that, that we're all, we know that there's a struggle. We know it's difficult. But we also seem to know that we're better for it. And, uh, and we keep uh, pressing forward. So it's really good to reflect this way and, and to remember from time to time. Take heart. Things are moving. You know, we're moving in this process. So over the months and years of practice, um, through practicing with the foundations of mindfulness and all of the um, non-attachment, the, the ability to stand back from experience that that brings, um, what happens is that over, over the years, uh, even 
experiences that are seemingly so personal as sensations, feelings, thoughts, our moods, our mind states, you know, all of the karmic patterns that arise in us, these things can be known. Suddenly what's happening through the foundations of mindfulness is we're developing the capacity to be uh, outside of it, to know it. And and you have to know that this is a radical shift. (laughs) This is huge. You know, the, the mind, uh, up until that point, like I was saying, it's, it's just, it's all, you were all just completely caught in it. But now something is shifting because, thank goodness, we have the Satipatthana Sutta. We have the foundations of mindfulness. And we have the, the, the karma that's good enough to know to follow this and to try to do it. So uh, this, this radical shift is a shift in the way that we're relating to experiences. So we can observe things now. And we can know them from an objective vantage point instead of this incessant subjectivity <laughs> where we're constantly caught and, and uh, have no options about it. So whether we realize it or not, by, by working with the foundations of mindfulness, we actually are developing this open-hearted acceptance. That's, the, that's what the whole thing is gearing us to be able to do. That's the function of it. Be with sensations as sensation. Be with feeling as feeling. Be with thought as thought. What that means is let open to the way that things are and don't go into all of the self-absorbed rants about it and reactivity to it. Just develop this habit. And and, and the beautiful thing about it is you don't even have to know that you're developing objectivity. You don't even have to know that you're um, changing and making this radical shift. You just have to follow the instructions, do what the Buddha said. Try to see the breath, see feelings, see thoughts, see karmic patterns as they are. I just try to do that. I don't, I don't know about you, but definitely for a long time in my own practice, I would just do it, you know? And it bears fruit. But I can't say honestly that uh, I understood what it was affecting particularly. Not for many years, you know that that, that comes uh, more through lingering and, and being able to be outside long enough to know um, the the opposite states. So so this kind of um, open-hearted acceptance that gets cultivated through the practice it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> and and I think it's important to know this too, you know, to develop so that we can hang in there. Be patient. Know that this is a process that takes, some, takes a certain amount of time. And it's a very gradual process. And for a long time, all that's happening is that we just keep catching ourselves caught up, and then we pull ourselves out. You, know? you catch yourself caught up, and then you pull yourselves out. You're caught up, you pull out. And that's, that's a lot of what's going on. The um, determination, the resolve, to not be caught up, but then when we see ourselves caught up, to uh, use the, the sense of restraint, use the experience of restraint. And this is all, this is all really good. <laughs> this is very good practice. If that, a lot of people report that that's a lot of what's going on in their practice. And I say, yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's going very well, if, if that's what's happening. You, know, you can trust that. 
So, but what also happens for, for a very long time, as I said, it's a gradual process. Um, we, what happens is we, when we see ourselves uh, caught up in this way, it tends to precipitate a lot of self-loathing. We have to know this, too. <laughs> this is standard operating procedure <laughs> for waking up, you know, uh, the process of waking up. Uh, moving from this unawakened state to this awakened state. Because we're still in this unawakened state. And while we're um, in this process, uh, and just biding our time, doing the work, uh, so that, that we can get to the heart of the matter, which is uh, impermanent suffering and non-self, what's going to happen in that uh, intervening time is that we're still going to grab hold of unattractive states. That, that's just the way that it goes. And, and you, you may have seen yourself just kind of grab them by the tail, you know, and try to wrestle them to the ground. But you find over the years of practice that that kind of fighting and trying to make it not be that way, you know, just has the effect of having the, the head come around and bite you, you know, so that uh, now you're not only in the state, you're caught in grabbing it and hating it and resisting it. And so the whole uh, old approach just ends up... Um, compounding the suffering. You know, we keep turning to ways that are designed to get us free, but you, you, we have to learn, you know, that uh, it's, just, uh, it's just actually getting us deeper in. It's like, you, you, in order to get rid of hatred, you hate it, you know. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it, <laughs> you know. But that's what we do. That's what we're doing. So it, it, it's interesting, because as I said, it is a process. And you know, notice that for some time, you, we're getting, we get free enough to be able to see the states with a little bit more objectivity. Um, but it can, it can take some time, perhaps, before we can do that uh, or get free enough to, to notice all of that without turning it back on ourselves. That's, that's going to happen for a while. And just know it. So that the turning it back on ourselves doesn't become something to hate, too. You know, it's like, oh, I hate that I'm hating. And I hate that I hate that I'm hating. And it just gets, it just keeps going and getting us deeper and deeper in. And so there's layers, and we work with those layers. We try to uh, filter through these layers. So I, I want to assure everybody that all of this is normal. <laughs> this is the way it goes. This is the way it goes in practice. And it's all squarely in the realm uh, of what goes on as we learn to open and accept uh, the patterns and habits that, that we see in ourselves, accept the way that we are. And I wish I could offer, in a way, uh, some better news. <laughs> but it seems to be the case that we have to go through uh, what can be a very painful process uh, of seeing ourselves, uh, seeing for ourselves that the, the longing and the resisting and uh, the ignoring, the trying not to see, you know, the whole reaction to, to karma with greed, hatred, and delusion, you know, that none of that works. It, it just seems to take some time. And we, we, it, it's like each of us individually, it, it's not enough to know that conceptually. 
You know, we actually have to be on the front line and watch ourselves yet again <laughs> struggle with it <laughs> and, and try uh, and feel the pain of that before the, the mind begins to get it that um, these, these approaches don't work. And like I said, I wish, I wish it was another way. <laughs> it would be nice if it was, but it, it's not. It, it's, a, it, it's a process of going in and through and feeling uh, that uh, uh, is the means for liberation. So the Buddha said that, you know, basically craving is craving. <laughs> you know, whether it's longing to be some other way or resisting the way that we are, it's all craving. And when he talks about craving in the, in the second noble truth, he points to these two movements of the heart and mind, where there's a, the craving to exist in some other way, or the craving to not exist in the way that we do, are. You know, I like that some of the language he uses is like the relishing now here and now there, the desire to be some way other than the way that we are. But it's all craving. And it's the craving for becoming. This is the becoming and the non-becoming that is going on uh, incessantly in our being, in our practice. And it is our suffering. Uh, We have to see it. Uh, The Buddha is trying to to help us to see it. But again, take heart. Whether we, we realize it or not, working with all of this is the way that we garner the insight. This is how it happens. You know, the insight isn't something that comes from some other process and comes in to save the day like some knight in shining armor. This is the, this is the insight. So that um, when we talk about insight into dukkha, for example, there's certainly a lot to it, but in part, it involves developing the capacity to just openly, open-heartedly bear the karma. Ah, <laughs> it really is this way. <laughs> oh, that kind of thing. And just keep going, just keep bearing it and um, opening to it yet again. Because it's that whole process of opening in that way that, that uh, teaches the heart about kindness and about compassion. You know, you, you can't open to dukkha without learning about compassion. And primarily, compassion for ourselves. You know, how, you, how are you going to hold yourself in all of this? You, are you going to persist in smacking yourself around? <laughs> or are you going to say, oh, poor baby, you're suffering. This is suffering. And, and try to work with it from there. And so similarly, the, the insights into non-self, or anatta, the, the, these involve um, developing the capacity to, again, openly, open-heartedly observe the states that arise in us, and, and to realize, through the direct experience of it, that, that clobbering ourselves and trying to manage and manipulate ourselves and manipulate the world around us in a way to make it not be the way that it is, that uh, all of that it just is only making it worse. It just compounds the whole thing. So eventually, at least what I've seen in my own practice, is eventually we stop clobbering ourselves 
because it, it, it's just a, as a means to avoid the pain. You know, it's like, how much are you going to do it? For, my, for myself, I have, if I'm honest, I have to say that uh, it, it's really been the sheer frustration and the torment that's uh, associated with, with self-loathing that um, has been um, the very mechanism that's been breaking the habit of self-view. That's how it's happening. You know, you, you're going to keep clobbering. You're going to keep demanding that you be some other way. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's too painful. And, and so what happens over the process, and a very dear friend of mine and I talk about this a lot, you know, what, what happens over the process is that, that the, the, the mind just stops going to these tired old worn-out approaches. And, and it, it, maybe for a little while it just stops, it just lets go, and it relinquishes. But eventually, it's almost like the letting go is kind of like an exhale. But eventually there's another inhale. And on the, on the, it's as if on the inhale it, it, it turns with interest to the way that we are. <laughs> well, what is this thing anyway that I keep doing? <laughs> I mean, what is it? Because you almost have to work through the, the, the resisting it, the, the not wanting it to be that way before we can get to that place. But it's wonderful when it does, because this is the opening. This is the opening to the way that we are. Now, it's like, it's like you almost have to throw in the towel, you know, with the old ways. Oh, I'm sick of that. I'm sick of hating myself. <laughs> Let me just accept that this is the way I am. And then, I mean, it's kind of interesting because, uh, I don't know, you wake up with this realization that the way you are is okay. <laughs> After all that, you know, what was all that fuss about? <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow, you know. It's quite amazing. I think practice really does involve at least entertaining the remote possibility that, that the way you are is absolutely fine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, uh, slowly, what goes on in the process is that we, we discover for ourselves that um, it, it, it's better to live with the suffering. It's better to live with the uncertainty. It's better to live with the lack of control. <laughs> You know, than to than to live with the greed, hatred, and delusion. It's much better. It's scary. And it it means that there there will be difficulty. But what you learn through the pro we learn through the process is not only is it okay, and not only can we bear it, we we've actually been bearing it all along. It's all it's okay. It's it's this is the way it is for human beings. This is the way our life goes. So this is the process. And just having met so many of you now and talking to you about your practice, I feel very good about it. You know, you're all, everybody's right in there, working with it in the best way that we know how. And we need to have confidence in that, take heart. It's going very well, that feeling. So just a little bit about aspiration, too, because this is, this is an important bit that um, 
you know, I wonder sometimes if we focus enough on it. Uh, there's aspiration in our heart. We, we all have it. It's an interesting force. In the Buddhist teachings, you know, we, do, we talk a lot about uh, certain impulses like chetana or volition, the, the bit that's directing the attention and, and precipitating change. And we talk about um, aditana or determination, the, the, the resolve. You know, lots of times, a lot of what's uh, active in practice is we, we form resolves to behave in certain ways and then uh, try to rise up to that and uh, restrain ourselves when we're moving in, the, in a direction that we don't want to go in. So these are all very important. But there's something else that we, we don't talk about as much, or it doesn't seem to get as much uh, airtime, and that's this, this, what, I'm, what I'm calling aspiration. It's, a, it's not a specific impulse like these, uh, these other states. It's a lot more pervasive. Um, you know, one, one can feel it more as a mood in the heart, uh, a kind of a pervasive wish, the, the thing that directs us, uh, moves us in the direction of freedom and keeps doing it. It's like, uh, something keeps rising up and uh, is very active in all of our hearts and keeps moving us, moving us to keep going, to keep doing what we're doing. And it's a real feel-good state. It's a very happy state. Uh, it's, when, when you uh, open to and feel this healthy aspiration, the heart gets very happy. Uh, uh, like this. And, and it's quite refined. It's not. I mean, it's a wanting. It's interesting. It's a wanting. But you, you know, you may know that in, in Buddhism, there's supposedly as many words for desire as the, the Eskimos have for snow. You know, it's very, it's very nuanced. And there's this coarse levels of wanting, and these are the states that we're trying to overcome. But there's there's a wanting, a kind of a leaning, a much more refined and purified level of wanting that's also very active and very much a, a part of um, not only the human experience, but a part of our practice, a part of what's motivating us. And I bring it up because I don't think it gets enough airtime. You know, maybe it's a Western thing. I don't know. We don't seem to like to look at our good stuff. You know? <laughs> uh, you, but we're, we're good at noticing when things are, are difficult. We're good at noticing the coarse levels of wanting. And, and trying to s- snap ourselves out of these. But um, I, I think uh, many of us fail to, to notice this very, very important uh, activity of the heart that it's driving us and driving our practice and how strongly it's operating in all of us. So it's like the, the gal that I, that I was talking to where um, she was very caught up in these difficult states. You know, and... and uh, she was really good at that. <laughs> she was really good at being caught up and arguing with herself about her difficult states. So I kept trying to. Just I mean, you certainly try different approaches, different responses when you're talking to people about their practice. And try to get a sense of what might be needed at any given given time, because there's many ways you can come at any particular issue. But for her, I kept, what I kept doing was in encouraging her. To, to give as much attention to the part in her that, that wants to be good and clear as the part that isn't. 
It's like all the energy was going towards this bit that isn't. You know, and it's like, well, wait, but there's something over here that, that wants, that is moving in a different direction. It's much lighter. It's much softer. And it, it, are you noticing that? You know, it's the thing against which the, the difficulty is rubbing. <laughs> and, 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 and you're feeling it because it, it, there wouldn't even be a rub if there wasn't this uplifting, this aspiration. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even feel uh, or, or notice the harm or the difficult states. It was like I was, ta- I was talking to a guy once who was, um, he was so, he was being very hard on himself because he, he, was draw- he was very attracted to women. And he kept, in his mind, making objects out of them. And he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to make sexual objects out of women, you know? And, and it, but he was completely caught up in hating himself for doing that and feeling guilty and feeling bad because he couldn't overcome this lust, you know? And then, so I, I said, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know? Look at the bit that doesn't want to be that way. You know, it, it, it's beautiful. <laughs> this is a beautiful state inside of you that absolutely does not want to do that does not want to reduce another human being to objects. Isn't that too, do you see what I'm saying? It's like, this is, this is, this is beautiful stuff. And, and when you can zero in on it and isolate it out against the backdrop of all the mixed up crazy things that are going on in there at the same time, and just actually feel that, that's what I'm talking about. You know, touch that. This is, this is, when the, when the heart touches this kind of, this wish, this aspiration to be kind, to be good, to not do harm, man, you feel nothing but gladness. It's a very happy state, you know, and it's very strong in all of us. It's just that we don't tend to notice it, I don't think. You know, it, it, if that wasn't there, you know, we'd be, we'd be um, psychopaths, sociopaths, you know. There's, a, there's something in us that wants to be good. And, and uh, it's important. It's really important to notice it. So, so right at the moment, any time that you're caught in what, maybe what you're calling some kind of, of transgression, just if it's true that there's a highly conditioned tendency to turn that back on ourselves and beat up on ourselves about it, then try to remember that you can do, you can do that. You can go down that path <laughs> if you want. And you can pull yourself out and all of that. But a whole other course or a whole other approach that one can take is to begin to, is to notice the bit that doesn't want to do that. This is not some kind of Pollyanna uh, urge. It's beautiful stuff. It, it, it's, it's, it's some of the best uh, of what human beings are. And, and uh, it's very much a player in this process of waking up. So, so uh, something in us is so completely and utterly harmless that we're afraid of doing harm. Man, it's, it's beautiful stuff. Go there. 
and, and feel it and let it, let it fill the heart. So if it's, if it's sounding not too familiar, one way that you can see this aspiration is just notice what goes on when you take the precepts, for example. You know, this is, a, is something uh, we encourage, like I'm uh, offering this year-long program at the study center, and we're in this phase of focusing on sila, focusing on uh, uh, the, the good conduct. And for the, the whole period of uh, several months, we encourage people to take the precepts every day. You know, this is what we do at the monasteries and um, in, in certain places, and many of you may probably do this already. But just to do that, so that it's, it's foremost on the mind, certainly, so that uh, uh, that aspiration is active throughout the day. The likelihood is greater if, it, if you keep it on the front burner. So, so that's, that, that's, a, that's part of it. But also to, to notice in the act of doing that, you know, what is being stirred in the heart. Because underlying um, our work with the precepts is really this, this is heartfelt aspiration to behave well. And, and you can see it. See? You know, if you, if you take the precepts and really take, the, take it to heart, as you're saying it, you know, you start to sit a little taller in the saddle with each one, you know? It's like, because basically what you're saying is, it, it is my intention, it is my wish, it is my aspiration to live in this life in a way that is harmless, that is, is, is respectful, is kind in actions and speech, you know, is, is not doing things to, to, to make myself dull or to shortchange myself in, in this process of, of waking up. You know, that, uh, I gotta feel good about myself, you know? <laughs> That's what I'm about. That's what I'm saying. You know, this is, this is uh, the aspiration, and we want to uh, notice it, feel it, and open to it. Because too easily, working with the precepts is just one of those ways that we're just adding to uh, ways to feel bad about ourselves. You know, because we see how we can't keep them. Well, that has to be a given. <laughs> you know, but look at the bit that wants to keep them. That's the bit where you're going to get a lot of energy and uh, feel good, feel good about yourself. So just encouraging everyone to take a look at this, uh, this quality of uh, the aspiration. And look closely. It's, uh, as I said, it, it's not a greedy or coarse state. It's a very refined state. Many years ago, uh, I remember hearing a teaching of Ajahn Chah's, and, and he said, um, you have to want liberation, but without wanting. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I've been chewing on that one for about 20 years now. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> want it without wanting. And, and I think that this quality of aspiration is what's touching on that. Because it's not, it's, it, it, it's not wanting. It, it, it's actually not even personal. It's, it's such a pervasive quality. It's such a big thing. You, you, can't, you, you, you have a little trouble even putting your finger on it. 
and trying to own it in any way. It, it, it's just a, a rising up. It's a movement of the heart to lift and, and to move us in the direction of freedom. And I think this is what we're talking about here, a very glad state. So it, it may not be um, or appear to be uh, highly developed um, or you know, even fully functional in, in all of us. But uh, I don't know. I, I tend to, to see that a little bit differently. I, I think it's a lot more likely that if you have this sense that that's, it's not there for you, that it's, it's, it's more the case that you, you haven't developed the habit of looking or noticing it, or taking it to heart and letting it, letting it feed and nourish you. This is the stuff that actually fuels us in our practice. You know, it's, it's the energy. And so uh, you know, it's much more the case that one needs to look at it than anything else. So I guess what I'm, what I'm encouraging here is to uh, notice what we're talking about and, and uh, dare to soak in it. You know, take a bubble bath in it. You know, just, just get down into it and, and let it pervade your being. It's a very powerful force for all of us here. We want to be free. Everybody here, <laughs> we want to be free. To feel that. It's a very skillful wanting. And you can know that it will endure. It's not likely to go away. <laughs> you probably tried to make it go away <laughs> so you could have some peace. <laughs> but the peace that we seek is through uh, responding to it, you know, rising up to it. And you can trust it. You can, you can rely on it. And I guess the trick in all of this is is just not to let uh, self-view hijack it. <laughs> you know, not to let self-view come in and reduce it to some kind of personal quest. That's not what we're go- what's going on here. That's not what we're involved in. It's much bigger than that. Much bigger. And, and all of us are very much right in there with it. So the, the system will tweak itself over time. The, and this is going to be done through the skillful identification, acknowledgement, nourishment of this aspiration. You know, trusting it, loving it, feeling good about the fact that it's there. And uh, through uh, learning how to open to the way that, that we are and to uh, systematically apply ourselves in that effort. And that's what we're doing. That's what all of this is about. So I offer this for your reflection tonight. I hope in in some way it's helpful. Shall we sit for a minute? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.